Hey everybody, we are back with another commissioned podcast. Uh, this time, it is uh, we are super grateful to Brian G for commissioning this thing because he's making us watch a show that I've already watched and that I actually thoroughly enjoyed. So watching it again was not a problem, and that is The Americans. Yeah, The Americans is one of the other shows joining Hannibal and Justified that just missed our cutoff for coverage. It hit the wrong time slot for us. It's on when Walking Dead is on, well, and I the, was the moving. Big, the and... big problem is neither one of us. I, you, were, you were moving. I hadn't gone full-time yet, and I was like... Staring down a barrel of the Walking Dead, Game of Thrones, Mad Men gun. Yeah, yeah. So, and in retrospect, I'm glad we didn't take this on. Yeah, it would have probably been too much work. Yeah. Uh, Who knows? But we're talking about season two, of course. Season one, this really wasn't even on my radar. I picked it up kind of almost on a lark. I saw some of the bad wigs. I saw yeah. some of the bad glasses. I figured, you know what? I'm not watching a whole lot of stuff right now. Turned out to be a really excellent show, and I hear it continues into season two being really excellent. It's one of the weird because I, you know, got a lot of critical buzz, and I remember watching the I watched the pilot live, uh-huh. and then I said, okay, well, this is definitely something I want to record. We might have even talked about it on the old Bald Move television, and my DVR crapped out. And that's devastating huh. nowadays when your DVR yeah. scra- and it's like, oh, god damn it, now I got to go, what? On demand it, but then it misses the window, and then now I gotta fucking on the Pirate Bay or whatever, and it's just one of those things that didn't happen. And what yeah. would have made me watch the first season was getting you know cramming for season two, and then we decided not to do that. And I'm like, all right, sure. So how far in did time. you get? When I don't you even recall. It. Okay, I, I farther than episode two. I don't know because I had clear memories of stuff that happened in the pilot. I was yeah. a little shakier on what was going on in, in episode two. Okay, so. We need to tell everybody we watched episodes one and two. Um, Which is the pilot and the clock. The clock, yep. Uh, I've seen all of season one. I haven't seen any of season two. And with the names that they are, I guess we should clarify, not like a pilot of a commercial airline, just like the first show (laughs) of a series. Oh, God. It's the pilot and the clock. Yeah. And I I hope everyone knows what a clock is. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So what's your experience with espionage? type fiction oh well i've done a lot of espionage tons of espionage i mean that's basically all i do this outside is, of podcasting this is also fiction thank you for illustrating that uh, but what, what's your experience with uh espionage I, fiction i don't read a lot of it i don't watch a lot of it um it's it's a fair i mean outside of movies movies is about as far as i go like um man and i'm struggling to even come up with the name of an espionage movie it's like purely espionage. I know there's a lot of stuff where, you know, people hijack submarines and shit. What about like Mission Impossible? <laughs> sure, that's the about Saint. my. Yeah, woof. Yeah, that's a deep cut. Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. You know, uh, I was not in the right state of mind to watch Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I shouldn't More of have a done Stinker it. Tinker Tailor. I wasn't paying attention to the beginning of it, so the end of it made no sense. Mm. Oh, that was, yeah, that was rough. Yeah. <laughs> So I love spy shit. You're a huge spy fan. And yeah. I got that way because um, I got into Tom Clancy. The Clance. At an very impressionable age, like in my late, you know, late teens to early 20s. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that spycraft is super cool and super interesting, especially this, like, I feel like the late 70s, early 80s is the kind of golden age of espionage. Sure, that you, you had James Bond. You, and... No, I'm not talking about just from fiction. I'm talking from real life. You had oh, yeah, yeah. 
really kind of James Bond level gadgets, but we uh-huh. hadn't gotten to nowadays where I feel like it's yeah. probably less human intelligence and a lot more. That's the thing, right? I mean, the the amount of the, the ability for people to detect things that are being mm-hmm. uh, spy operations that are perpetrating spy shit on them has gone through the roof. Like there, there is no way to do a good dead drop, for instance. Mm-hmm. Like the the surveillance that's on you at all times, uh, and you can look at like Jack Bauer, right? right. I mean. Yeah, that's over the top, but a lot of that stuff is real. Man, I feel like it's even easier to do a dead drop nowadays with what you can fit on a micro SD card. Yeah, but if if they're on to you at all, they're going to catch you. But that's the that's the cool thing. Like I feel like that in the pilot episode when they showed little things like him doing the dead drop, sure, sure. and he already had his coffee uh, cup staged where he had it's like a sleight of hand. If you were you know surveilling him. With a camera on him, it's not. I don't know that you would have seen that. Mm. So it's like you know, it's part of part of what I think is interesting about the spycraft stuff is that you have to live your life as if you are being watched one hundred percent of the time. Sure, you can't ever, uh, you know, take time off. You can't ever, you know, relax. And, and when you do, that's that's when you get sloppy, and that's when you get caught. Yeah, interesting that there's these characters in the Tom Clancy series called the Foley's. They're a husband and wife team. That are serving as some sort of uh, I don't know what low level functionaries in Russia, and they're actually they're the American equivalents of these guys, okay. these people. Yeah, um, and I just I just like blow my mind to see like the Funhouse mirror, like the or I guess the mirror universe, the evil version of the Foley's. Sure. As uh, uh-huh. uh, was it Elizabeth and what's the other guy's Phillip. name? Philip. Philip and Elizabeth. Yeah. And also their relationship is super weird because the Foley's were clearly – they actually loved each other. They weren't um, paired together through some kind of super spy program. Uh-huh. Um, so they were like in it as a couple and in it as patriots. Their – Philip and Elizabeth's relationship is way more complex. It is, and, and I like it. I, I like it a lot. It's one of the more interesting parts of the show to I was going to say, can they keep – can they keep that up throughout the whole run of the season? Because the central premise where you've almost got these two people that are cuckolding each other and do they love each other? I mean, I feel like seeing these two episodes that Philip is clearly has fallen in love mm-hmm. with Elizabeth. But not El- vice versa. Elizabeth admires him, uh, admires his personal loyalty to her, even if, if even if his loyalties to the country, uh, to the motherland has kind of wavered, yeah. that he's still personally lo- loyal to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, one of the big questions I had coming out is when they had this big reconciliation sex uh, after they dissolved the corpse and you know sure no Phil Collins yeah. was playing is that corpse dissolving sex yeah is that proper. just one of her spycraft skills she's using to keep an asset to be loyal to her or is this so, the feeling I mean that's a super interesting question uh, it's one that I. I'm not totally certain that we're supposed to actually have an answer to after that scene. Oh, I'm not. And, yeah, I mean, I know you've seen the f- whole first season, so. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I know that their relationship stays as complicated as it is until near the very end of the season. Okay. So, <laughs> so I, I'm going to try not to be too spoilery. I'm not going to tell you about specific events that happen more like. You, fl- you flipped the tables on me from the Game of Thrones cast, man. I know. I got you over the barrel here. See how you do in the hot seat. Uh, I, I'll try not to spoil anything. 
But yeah, that that's definitely one of the more interesting parts of the pilot uh, because you kind of get the feeling that she, I mean, certainly she is way more into this spy thing than he is, but she's also feeling a little bit of the same thing that he is because she's worried about her kids. Uh, and, and that comes out a lot in episode two mm-hmm. where, you know, she sees a mother being held ransom with her kid uh, in trouble. Sure. And she thinks what would happen if we were to be caught or killed? Sure. What would happen to their kids? So there's a but, lot of love for her family mixed up in this, which has grown on her. And and though, like, she has love for the entire family as a unit, whereas Philip has love for her um, and also his children. I mean, that, that much is obvious. But she doesn't feel the same about him. But that's still in the mix, you know? And she has a very kind of a colder relationship with her children, because there is this ideological divide. Those kids are American yeah. kids. Sure. And he's kind of an American dad. She's still this Russian ice mom. Mm-hmm. And that comes across. And you can see, especially with her uh, mid middle teens, I'm guessing 14, 15. No, she's 13-year-old in the series. 13, yeah. Um, her daughter. Yeah, Paige, that... You know, they have this already this conflict about, you know, between freedom and repression and all this stuff. And I also feel feel like it's not just her worrying about what she would do if she were captured or if her children were used. But she's also worrying about the souls of her children as far as she's always trying to interject like, you know, the moon's not so great being the first one to space. And she's got these little little subtle digs at America. Mm -hmm. Uh, The look on her face is priceless when Paige is writing a paper about... Uh, the Russians cheating on arms treaties or arms uh, inspections. Uh-huh. She's got this thing where it's not only does she just care about their physical bodies, but she's seeing these kids grow up in this decadent capitalist society that's trying air conditioned dest- society that's trying to destroy Russia, mm-hmm. and it's it's got to be a mind fuck. Yeah, and she probably feels very alone. Very isolated, considering the only people that she knows in this country, apparently, right, uh, are her family, and they all seem one wants to defect. The other mm-hmm. two are children who, you know, don't. She can't tell about what she's actually doing. It's rough. She's in a rough situation. Yeah, and those kids, I feel like they get to be. I mean, it's probably already too late for Paige that if she's like, "Hey, yeah. mommy, daddy are Russian super agents, and we're gonna go back and live in." Stalingrad or Leningrad or wherever, they're going to be like St. Petersburg. They're going to be like, fuck you. No way. Yeah. yeah. No um, air conditioning? Get out of here. I thought that was super interesting when they showed the two um, getting to America for the first time and just kind yeah. of being amazed at things. And I've, I've read that that is true, that mm-hmm. one of the things that defectors from, United, from the old USSR were gobsmacked by was just how well everything works here and like supermarkets like you take them to a, a Walmart and they just like don't know what to do because sure, it's having, a bounty of this, and, this and, wealth and, and, and comfort like they're they're thinking that this has got to be a put on that the CIA <laughs> is giving us and then when you drive out yeah, into yeah. the suburbs just row after row of these you know huge palatial by russian standards houses yeah yeah and you know the the power's always working they got air conditioning and you know, plenty of you got seven different types of toilet paper. Not only is there toilet paper on all the shelves, but there's yeah. like seven different types. And <laughs> you want two ply? We got two ply. <laughs> and it's it's really really weird. Whereas sure. going the other way, 
like certainly the United States demonized Russia, but I felt like we wouldn't go to Moscow and just be fucking shocked with what we saw. You know, yeah. it's like that's like yeah. that kind of like um, propaganda only works one way. Okay, I, I, I mean, I don't know exactly what type of propaganda you mean yeah i don't know either because there's like different okay. types of propaganda there's propaganda like the russians are evil and they're trying to destroy our freedoms and our way of life and there's propaganda mm-hmm. which like uh you know capitalism's better than communism sure one of them's more fact-based than the other and i feel like that you know both sides probably have a free pass at the former type of propaganda the good versus evil yeah but the Ru- russians were at a distinct disadvantage on the latter because capitalism was kicking their ass sure Sure. Uh, so, so when you go to Russia and you see the the bounty that they lay before you, it's not quite the bounty that you're used to in America. Yeah, like you know, it's like they might be able to keep just like North Korea can keep a couple square sure. blocks that are reasonably that they tour functional you through that, when you come to visit. But yeah. you go beyond that, and what the fucking elevator doesn't work. In fact, it's been dismantled, and all the wood's been pulled off of it, so people <laughs> can burn it for heat in the winter. And you're like, that's the kind of shit that you can't fake. Yeah, yeah. You can't fake that. You can't fake. Um, uh, bounty, and you can't mm. fake deprivation, I don't feel like. Sure. So those kind sure. of things were very stark. And I wonder, that's the first question I had coming out of these two episodes, is why is she so fanatically devote, devoted to this country? Because it seems like you live in America for a while, you're going to get soft. Uh, you're, one of your commanding officers fucking raped you brutally as an initiation yeah. or, a, I don't know, some kind of – as a perk yeah, for his job. Yeah, he tries to defend it at some point, and it's I, complete bullshit. I feel like he started to, but then he's like, like they yeah, gave us liberties with the, the cadets. What? Fuck off. Yeah, I, I just feel like I'm not sure I need to see more of her backstory because that's the other thing. is like they were expressly forbidden to tell each other's backstories, which yeah. is kind of a neat device that we Makes as the sense. audience can find out all these hoary details of their life together – when they would never have known it, so it doesn't feel schmaltzy like they're just oh you know here's a old album of her pictures or reminisce about the days. Yeah, we're yeah. getting they're we're getting to know them at the same time they are, and I think that's very interesting. It is. Uh, Twenty years have passed, roughly sure. since uh, I, I think it might be more like fifteen or something. Uh, well over a decade has passed since they came to America. You you wonder why they're just now getting around to talking about it. And it could be the status of the relationship. It could well, they were be the ordered kids. To not to do that. I, yes, I, I understand that. Yeah, okay. But they're doing it anyway. I'm saying, why didn't that happen earlier? Well, I th- I think that the Shit's bombshell that she got raped by this dude was sure. something Being that confronted with that guy. And, and I feel like that this is the point in the relationship where maybe they're suggesting that Elizabeth is starting to finally warm up to Philip as something other than just a fellow officer, intelligence officer. Yeah. So there are a lot of forces coming together here. Um, oh, creating creating a perfect storm. Uh, the fucking FBI agent that's a counter terrorist unit that that happens to move in next door. I'm not, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about like geopolitical stuff. Okay. Uh, in in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, that stuff has like come to a head. The president is pushing for because it's 81, right? So president Reagan's so. just been elected and he's taken office, and uh, you know he's pledged to. Uh, put the stake in the heart of the of, of the the Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah, he's launching his massive spending on military. He's you know and I don't counterintelligence know. and Star Wars. I think is, is something I don't know that's been announced, but it's definitely something that's obviously in the works. We hear um, mm-hmm. when they bug the Secretary of Defense's private study, we hear him talking about it yeah. with some other diplomats. So as 
And I feel like that's another really cool thing that this show does is shows both sides and how they demonize each other and it's, how it's so good at that. Uh, it it just gets blurrier right. as the the season goes along, and that's one of my favorite things about it. Because uh, you don't want to root for Philip and Elizabeth because you know we're watching it here in America, right? Uh, but at times the show makes it very difficult not to. Yeah. Uh, at times you do, and at times Henry is a villain. Uh, whereas you know is that the traditionally, FBI agent? yeah, traditionally we would see an FBI agent working counterintelligence against the Russians as a hero. So you said that, but I at all times thought that Henry is the villain. Why? Because he's one of the types, and this is a post-9-11 worldview, but um, he's one of those types that abuses and tramples on freedom into in and has a petty abuses of power, a lot like you would associate with uh, KGB working in Russia mm-hmm. in the guise of preserving our freedom. Also, with the knowledge I have now that the, the USSR was a paper tiger, I mean – the the United States militarily and the United States populace was so afraid of the Russians and the threat that they posed, and we they were really on their last legs. Mm-hmm. The shit that they had was usually in fear, and it wouldn't work that they ever tried to do it. Okay, I'm just saying, like we spent so much money and so much time and so much man hours and some of the stuff you've heard about the height of the Cold War, the really crazy science fiction stuff, like Howard Hughes. Mm-hmm. recovering a Russian sub under the guise of some kind of mining thing. He built this colossal ship that would just... I mean, that's fucking happened in real life. And some of these high-profile defectors and sure. spies on both sides. It's crazy, but it means that their plan worked, right? That's what I'm saying. Like, you, it, Let's it, position ourselves to look way more powerful than we are. And it worked. And it worked. And I, I don't know why... Are you saying... Which, who are you saying The Russians. That? It, how did that work? It led to It forced them. us to spend a shitload of money yeah, and put a shitload of resources. Yeah, that, yeah, That's the other thing I think is interesting when we talk about good and villains is that both sides, and you uh-huh. got this in the climax of the first uh, episode where you know the admiral gives a speech uh, about how they've elected a madman. They're trying to destroy us. And then you see the FBI director give the same speech. Uh-huh. From different. The difference is – the Russians were in an existential threat war with the United States. The Russians never really could, other than launching all their nuclear bombs, of course. <laughs> ne- they never could have really jeopardized our way of life. Yeah, you're probably right about that. So um, I guess that makes the Henry character, this FBI agent, worse in my eyes, is because he's doing all this shit in the name of freedom. But you don't know... Okay, so you don't know that until episode two. Episode one, he is just an FBI agent doing the right thing for his country. No, he was... Oh, episode was he, two he is when he goes the into the stereo okay. shop. Yeah. So I... He is a lunatic because he went and broke and entered into his neighbor's house on the only differences that they had a same sure. model and color of a car that was wanted. I mean, that's crazy town. And they, 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 to is. their credit, they did show... A good job of the fact that yeah he he even thinks himself is like man this is I'm I'm a kook I'm a nut I shouldn't uh-huh. be here yeah definitely uh, I I just think the the default position on Henry until episode two I think should be that he is a hero because you know he went deep deep undercover and you have to be sympathetic to what that might do to him how that might mess him up and the stuff that they finally show us between him and his wife i think 
you know, their relationship is strained by that. that certainly. Uh, Makes him sympathetic. Um, and just being in the position he's in as someone in the FBI doing counterintelligence on someone on, on a country who is actively antagonizing us. I, I don't see how that doesn't make him the default good guy in this scenario. No, and I think we had this debate halfway through the second episode. So, yeah, yeah you're right. But in the second episode, when he comes rolling into that guy sure, and that's threatens some him bullshit. physically and steals his shit. And that type of stuff makes me angry. That, Even when I see it in fiction because it glorifies that type of behavior. And and it it whether you want to admit it or not, it makes people more accepting of that behavior. You see – it's just a thing that happens. That's how cops do it. No, well, they fucking shouldn't. Um, I don't know because you – I felt then that he was very much put in a villainous light when he's doing that. He is. Yeah. I think when, like, Vic Mackey's doing that shit and Herc <laughs> on the wire's doing that shit that you could have some, like, you know, law enforcement officers getting the wrong idea about – uh, how cops should go about their business, but this guy was seemed like he was a he, he's a heavy handed thug. Yeah, certainly. Uh, like I said, there are times when he is the villain. There are times when he is the hero. Huh. Uh, and I'm waiting to see him be the hero. I guess. Sure. I, I guess the first couple episodes are not the time for him to be a hero. It's more focused on Philip and Elizabeth. Right. Uh, I love the interplay between Philip and Henry, though. Uh, this cat and mouse game that they start to play in episodes one and two carries. Uh, quite a bit oh, further yeah. into the season. So it's a lot of fun to watch uh, them kind of go after each other. Right. Uh, there's a lot a lot of really cool just straight-up cinematic shit that goes on in the show. Like we talked about that garage scene where he busted in. Oh, because it was already tense, although kind of in a fake way because... We knew there was nothing in the trunk. Well, we knew that she was ca- she was cleaning it and then she got interrupted. But I was pretty okay. sure that this was going to be, you know, classic, and it opens into nothing, and I'm like, okay, so he's starting to go out the garage. But then you become aware that there's this man-silhouetted face, mm-hmm. and it's Philip in the garage. Because the whole time I'm thinking, God, these are kind of like lightweight spies that get their own house broken into, and nobody's – no, he's been yeah. in the corner the whole fucking time. And that's great. Just the idea that if he had found anything – he was done. He was it's, dead. It's like seeing it, it, and I had this kind of like thrill go through me the way you see like a picture of uh, bathers at the beach from like you know two, three hundred foot overhead, and there's also sharks. <laughs> like there's giant sharks uh-huh. just swimming amongst people. They're oblivious to you the have danger. No idea that yeah. that is just lurking. And and when they, I saw his face, and it's kind of like a slow reveal. Yeah. Um, it's out of focus, and then the light turns on, and it really brings in relief. It's like shit, mm. you know. Uh, yeah, fantastic reveal there. Uh, there's a lot of good fight, fight choreography. The fight scenes are incredible. They're they're very Born Identity to me. I think they're better than Born Identity because Born Identity uh, brought the brutality, but also a lot of shaky cam. I felt like a lot, there's of shaky a lot less shaky cam in the cinematography on this series. Yeah, and they're moving at a good clip, right? They're not. You don't see them conveniently missing the guy when you know they should be aiming for him right like swinging over his head they're they're actually swinging at each other right uh so really good stuff there a lot of the music is you know maybe slightly out of place but that kind of works it it feels like they're taking a blend of of maybe some uh american action thriller music and throwing a little bit of kind of russian folk music in there as well Mm-hmm. giving it just a hint of that and i i love what this show does with that there's a a commercial 
I, I don't know if I can talk about this too much without it being spoilery, but there's a commercial for this show leading up to season two uh, where they showed just Philip and Elizabeth moving around in bed. Oh, and like, restless. Yeah, yeah very, uh-huh. very, very restless, that. moving around over and over in bed, and eventually, like, they're tracing their outlines until it morphs into this sickle and hammer Americans sure. uh, logo, and it's maybe the best ad I've ever seen for a show. If you if you've seen season one, it makes perfect sense, uh, huh. and, and it got me super hyped for season two, and then I didn't watch it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple of things I want to talk about in the first episode uh, before we move on to the second episode or any. I just we talked about the really good fight scenes. Uh, another thing that mm-hmm. you're a huge fan of is the wigs. You oh, can't get enough of the wigs. I love these fucking terrible wigs, man. They are the worst. And when you when you pair them. <laughs> With a caterpillar mustache and a bad pair of '80s glasses, I I just I lose my shit every time I see them. Do him. you think this is the deliberate stylish choice, stylistic choice that yeah. they're like they did a couple tests and like, man, this is looking rough, and they're like, you know what, fuck it, but we'll take it to the nth degree because they're not in most cases. They're not trying to pass themselves off as different people for very long. It's kind of like I just True. want to not be recognized as my primary cover. Uh-huh. There is, and the times when they do meet with people, kind of longer term, like uh, no, when like the bonin or something. When Elizabeth was giving that one dude the bead with the uh, yeah. fing- finger up the ass treatment, uh-huh. the, the old caterpillar, the prostate massage. She she was wearing crazy wig. But when Philip was. was dicking down the wife of the you know, the blonde wife mm. with the brazier can, he just had his hair slicked back, right? Yeah, he just had a slightly different hair. And he's a, I that guy's know. got enigmatic hair. I mean, <laughs> when he's younger, it's straight and it comes down over his face. So he can get it now a, that he can get in a kinky perm. Twenty years later, he's got uh, super curly perm going on. I I don't know what's going but on. But he with can his put hair. some like essential oils in there and relax it to get yeah. the slip back Swedish intelligence officer look. <laughs> no, you I. I it's funny because I don't even think I would have noticed the wigs, but every fucking scene you're like, you're having a stroke over there. Yeah, they're great, man. When he goes up to the guy who was hitting on his daughter and beats the crap out of him, look at that wig. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. And the mustache that, that, that and the was, five o'clock shadow. He's dressed and, like a carny. Yeah, yeah. Or like a, I don't know, like a backwoods car mechanic or something. Like a it's carny. <laughs> Yeah, I I can't get enough of it, and it it kind of makes sense to me. I mean, I don't know. I've never owned a wig. I've never. I don't think worn a wig, except maybe Halloween. Yeah, I was gonna say we've, we. I, th- I think well, we tried on some rocker when we did the big hair band thing. Yeah, yeah. We uh, both wore rock wigs. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I have worn a wig. That was an intentionally bad wig. Yeah. Um, but eighties eighties wig tech was it that good? <laughs> it's good enough for William Shatner. Yeah, apparently sixties wig tech. Uh, <laughs> that's another thing I really love about the show is the tech, oh, because yeah. the tech is so eighties, so Radio Shack. It's it's big metal boxes mm-hmm. with physical switches and big antennas. ass antennas. You got to ro- telescoping out. antennas, I, magnetic reel to reel tape technology. <laughs> yeah. Oh it, man, I love it. Uh, and I, I yeah, it just has a feel to it. It no, feels no. very eighties, and that that's what I want. Out of my period pieces. And again, I feel like that's that's part of the golden age of espionage. You had the real cool high-tech toys, but they weren't yeah. too like, modern-day crazy-ass extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a scene in the first episode where he's listening to his wife give this man this blowjob. Yeah. 
and it feels like it's it feels like it looks like he's taking chemotherapy. It's it's taking years <laughs> off his life listening to this uh, tape for the details he needs to get to. In fact, he sure. can't. I, I kind of felt like he's supposed to listen to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. But he kept on jumping ahead, jumping ahead to try to get to the part so he could get away from it. Mm-hmm. Who is in charge of this relationship? Like at, at a rank and file, is he? Does he outrank her? Does she outrank him? Because I kind of felt like huh. she outranked him, but then at some point when he was going to march out, that dude that they had captured, the defector, that got three million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and he's acting unilaterally. I felt like maybe he was the ranking officer, or is neither of them? Is it just basically they their... might be equals? Yeah, I'm not sure about that because I don't know what rank means when you're not in touch with your apparatus for years on a time, and you have to make snap decisions, and yeah, your loyalty to each other probably means more than any you know kind of saluting and stuff like that. But I I don't know if there is actually a definitive answer to that. I'm not really sure. I can't remember. Um, and then. We talked about the tent scene with the at the end where uh, he's waiting in the garage for the guy, mm-hmm. um, but the jumper cable scene where the guy came over oh, to borrow yeah. and he's like, "Start!" You can see his antenna going up about, "Oh, this is a uh, Cutlass Supreme and so, it's a Cutlass Supreme or yeah. whatever it is." So, I, I don't know what it was, seventy seven Rambler or something. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's AMC Gremlin. Yeah. And he gets a jumper, and he closes the door just in time for that thing to go down. And like you know, if that guy starts to s- decides to start, you know, wiggling around or making trouble, yeah. Oh my god! And he, he cut it with brass, a knife. That tension, brass fucking balls to to play it so nonchalantly. When you see the guy walking over, you know you've got to close that trunk in a hurry. But if you do, something's going to be uh, something's not going to look right there. So contrast the his reaction to hearing Elizabeth giving this guy this this beige mm-hmm. uh, to her reaction to seeing how hot the boob cam girl is that that Philip is yeah, fucking in episode two is she uh, closeted jealous is she impressed in a professional capacity is she like just teasing him I. I'm not sure, and maybe I I need to see the rest of the season to con- properly contextualize that episode. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you have? Okay, so you've seen the first season. Don't give me a, a spoiler. Yeah. But do you feel like you have a bead on that scene after seeing the whole season, or you, is it still kind of ambiguous? Uh, no, I I feel like I have. I, I know the arc here. Uh huh. And the arc tells me that. I'm pretty sure I know what she was doing there. Really? But if I tell you, it's going to kind of give does it Does the Ark have two angels with golden wings? Uh, uh, it does. And melt her face off of you. So I don't want to peek inside yet. No, right? no, okay. you don't. Uh, I liked, in moving on to like the second episode, I really liked how, you know, we're pretty ignorant of spycraft, obviously. But they do. They really sure. efficiently kind of show the stakes. Like when Philip initially scopes out this project and said, "Oh, it's going to take us six months to get this thing and to get the resources we need," and it comes down later that Moscow needs it done in three days. Yeah, they don't need to talk about how tough and like you know like all. But just by having him say, "Oh, yeah, it's going to take six months, three fucking days," you understand the crazy risks. Sure. I I feel like the plot to hijack and Shanghai the cleaning woman. It was a little much for me, like in what way? I just, that that's got to come back and bite them in the ass, right? Just being so sloppy with it. 
Yeah, the fact that they yeah. had to grab this woman, they had to use this they extreme had to measure. The fact that now there's three people to know about this. The fact that she's still an employee of this high-ranking official and can at any time say, "Oh yeah, I stole this clock," and you know, I mean, sure, they're not. They're, I mean, they had their great wigs on certainly, but they're not totally out of that. Well, even if it doesn't burn them yeah. by making it that fast, well, I guess maybe that's the the point that they needed the intel for that meeting that they got. Yeah, I don't want to speak too much okay, about this yeah, topic right. because I don't want to spoil anything. Kicking, so. I'm uh, kicking around a little too. <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to talk about stakes too and close. how how they display those stakes, the the opening scene of the first episode is a perfect example, right? They are tracking this guy. You don't know who the guy is at that point. It doesn't really matter. They're introducing you to what they do, uh, and they have another agent with them mm-hmm. who, in the the in the uh, craziness here, gets stabbed in the chest. He's bleeding out in the car, and they're debating whether or not to take him to the hospital before he dies or yeah. to finish the mission. I mean, that if that doesn't tell you stakes... Life and death. That, that, yeah. the, that intro was so awesome. With the music got, playing behind that? You got fighting, you got fucking, you got life and death decisions. <laughs> Fantastic intro, yeah. It's... Right and then you got the with, one-liner at the very end. It's right up there with Breaking Bad. What was the one-liner? Uh, shit. Why Why is this? everyone in this business so punctual, I think? Oh, in this business so punctual. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you are my – because I know you're not a girl, but I pretend you're a 13-year-old girl, and you're sound asleep, and it's midnight, and your All mom right. comes right. in with a large-gate needle and a, a bucket full of ice and <laughs> says, let's pierce your ears, honey. <laughs> I don't see that going down the way it did in this show. No? Like, that's full-on crazy mom behavior. I'm locking my doors at night if I'm that kid, if I'm the, if I'm Paige. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a very transparent attempt to get back in the good graces of her daughter. Uh, I think her daughter is just happy about it. Well, she's getting her ears pierced? Sure. No, 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 no. That her, that her mom's engaging in her life at some level. Hmm. Because, like you said, she seemed to be the strict, you know, uh, angry, authoritative mom. Whereas he's the dad that, like, takes her mall shopping and, yeah. like, goofs around in boots and kind of mortifies her. But it's she's uh-huh. still young enough to somewhat be endeared by that behavior. Give it another couple years. Sure, sure. <laughs> but, uh, but the mom has always been the stickler. And her coming in on this whim and saying, hey, let's do something that the daughter never thought she would let her do. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I I just think she's happy about it. This story is not over yet, too, because I'm already seeing flashing danger signs, not just from the maid that they tried to kill their son and their brother. Like, I feel like that's still an iceberg ready to wreck their ship. Mm -hmm. I see the blonde ambition, uh, whoever the brazier girl, she's full on crazy. And they and even Philip said at the beginning of the episodes, like, She's unstable. We shouldn't use her as an asset. The only reason mm-hmm. they are is because they're so pressed time for time. Frame. I thought that she might die this episode, but she can't be long for the world. Yeah, I mean, that that scene where she he gets a call from her, and she goes in the car, and she acts all crazy, says, just lie to me, make me think this is real. Yeah. That, the, then, he should be so paranoid at that point. Yeah, and I felt like I wouldn't have, here, yeah, I would have killed a woman. Uh, if I'm a Russian spy that's okay, been trained okay. to, you know, blah, 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 I don't know that I would have let her just walk away with the whole, you know, I, that's I, – I, my life and my family's life is in the balance here. 
Sure. That's and a she loose... has a contact number for him, which seems dangerous as well. Especially since she used it basically for an ego boost. Uh-huh. It's like, you know, the bat signal is not a pager. Certainly, <laughs> certainly unstable, yeah. I thought it was interesting, too, how... Originally, I thought they're showing up how the FBI is behind. They got this because the Russians have been running this depart. Was it Department S? Yeah, or Director direct, S? Di- directive, Director, Director at S. Yeah, and it's completely penetrated and it's completely stealth. It's in place and they're running all these big, high-profile operations. And they put a bug in the Secretary of Defense's office. Mm-hmm. Whereas these other guys are turning, you know, bragging about you know turning some woman that's involved in a low-level. Um, you know, gray market contraband scam. Sure, but then it turns out that she is basically the uh, the counterpart of the FBI secretary that they quasi turned. Yeah, Martha or Marta. Yeah, she's 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 working for the Russian consulate, and mm-hmm. they are now the FBI knows that they've got this major coup, and it's kind of like a very mirrored game of, of chess that we're watching. Yeah, it really is. Uh, and that's that's the part I love about it. Yeah. It feels like a chess game, and it's and it, it was a chess game. It is a chess game. <laughs> I'm there's a couple things I'm super worried about, and I know a lot of these got to be unfounded because I hear that the first episode um, by yours true by you was or the first season was really good, and I've heard the second season is really really good too. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's just so much mileage they can get out of having the next door neighbor be the CI, the FBI guy without making one or both of these parties look stupid at some point. Yeah, yeah, it's a tightrope. Um, like you can't – it's like either he's really good at his job and he's a threat or he's really oblivious to the job or it's what – in real life what probably happens is none of this interaction happens and he's never on the radar and – Sure, sure. You know – or there's a fourth option, which is is that they're both really, really good at their jobs. Yeah, and it's just right? super entertaining to hide that. I don't want to believe that. That seems too good to be true. Okay, all right. Well, I mean, you'll have to watch season one. I don't want to give much away. Uh, I'm really with child to watch season one and season two at this point. Uh, this was an excellent, excellent television show. Uh, yes, episode two is one one of my favorite episodes of the season. Oh, okay. uh, because I really, you know, we've talked about the pressure that Philip and Elizabeth are under, uh, the the pressure that they put on this family, this maid, uh, to do what they want her to do to place this clock, is really intense. Mm-hmm. And I mean, aside from the great fight scene that we get in that house, um, I thought it was super effective the way that they told that story. You know, they they go to her and they they like she has no reason to, so they poison her child. And they say, look, he's going to die in 72 hours. Uh-huh. Okay, I mean, that's a that's a bad thing to hear. Yeah. And you kind of see your kid getting sicker and sicker. But sure. that's three days while you're watching your kid. You know, he's it's gradual. It's and a gradual it real, change. It's like boiling it, a, a lobster yeah, alive, I've seen right? him get the flu before. This is about, like, the flu. Maybe they're just bluffing. Exactly. So when he grabs that pillow after she refuses to place the clock and tries to snuff the kid out, I feel like that is a great a great way to say... Okay, here your kid is going to die, regardless if you don't do this. But now he's going to die in front of you if you don't agree to do this right now. Mm. Oh, no, and and I, I really like the escalation there. That's the other thing I'm really worried about. Two episodes in, I'm seeing them doing like these high-wire stunt acts. Mm, and I'm yeah. kind of wondering how in the world can they continue to escalate this and make it better and still keep it believable. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like the guy who's seen the first two episodes of Breaking Bad. 
you know, like uh, Walt came up with this explosive out of his ass and disabled these guys, and then there was the bathtub dissolving, and I'm like, my God, where can they go from here? Not knowing so, one minute was coming, not knowing that box cutter was coming, not knowing yeah, that yeah, the Hodgley's yeah. coming, and like, so you certainly can ratchet up from where it seems like already unbelievable tense levels, but that's the other thing I'm worried about. It's like. I don't really want to see them doing these desperate, sloppy Hail Marys that connect every single time. It's yeah, like, I, I hear that's... Go, I'm sorry. It's it's Okay, it happens again, certainly. Sure. I mean, it's it's not an isolated incident. But I it's interesting to see these kind of, like, thrill rides in service of a larger plot, of a larger... Uh, operation i guess mm. so so everything that they do where they're you know fighting people in the streets and it's all action-packed and getting crazy is just a small piece in this bigger puzzle and that's that's where the show really gets interesting is when you start to you start to really get deep into it like in the wire in i think it's like season three when you've got the cops investigating uh the whole operation and they're like checking out cargo containers yeah. and all this stuff there's a bigger deeper thing there it's not just action scene sure. after action scene uh yeah i just i know that that was one of the because i've been reading some about friday night lights since it's hmm. come up um about i believe this came up in, in conjunction with peter berg and the following and his involvement not following sorry jesus the leftovers <laughs> okay but i mean, one of the criticisms i see lay about it is that inevitably the big games are anticlimactic because it's all about the team falling behind and then they win on basically a last second dramatic play. Yeah, it's as every the, sports film ever made. But it happens multiple times a season for yeah. three seasons. Sure. And it's like that's impossible to sustain, maybe even four seasons. And it gets a little threadbare by the end. And I, I hope they don't get there. I mean, obviously there's got a much bigger ceiling than when you're trying to figure out dramatic football plays and wins and all this stuff. But... Mm. That's what the other kind of thing I'm concerned that they can keep that going because I also I have a slightly higher dis- suspension of disbelief um, threshold yeah. than, than than some. So that's the other thing. Certainly. Am I missing anything that you want to point out with your uh, no greater experience with the Americanos? No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, we don't know too much about much in this show at, at this point. I also say that the. I felt like the strength is the writing and the plotting and not so much in the actual performances as of yet. Yeah, uh, that's, do, that's, that's mostly true, yeah. Okay, so we're not going to see any like big showy, you know, Emmy submission episodes uh, from these guys? Maybe not from these two, but I will drop one spoiler as far as cast. Uh, shit, I can't think of her name. The woman who plays Mags Bennett in Justified. Margot Martindale? Margot Martindale is in this, and she is, as usual, phenomenal. Huh. That's brilliant. Yeah. She's yeah, some she's... Russian babushka. No spoilers. Okay. No spoilers. Maybe she's uh, Henry's secret wife. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> she's the one he has. He's, she's the nut he has to crack. <laughs> yep. The next... The, the, uh, the next... Uh, Russian nut on the rung, sure. The ladder of espionage success, but yeah, she's great in it. So, all right, well, I'm super excited to see her in something good again. Uh, yeah, anything yeah. else we need to talk about? Nope, just that I'm excited for season two, and I'm going to check that out now that it, the whole thing is run. Okay, so thank you again, Brian G. You're real minch. Guys like you make the network go round, and we will see you for the season three opener of The Americans, if not sooner. 
Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See you then.